Isaiah chapter 53. That hymn from Charles Wesley began with these words. Love divine, all love's excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Sometimes we don't stop and think about some of these great hymns and the truth that they contain. To earth come down, fix in us our humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crowns. Let us see thy great let us see thy great salvation perfectly, perfectly restored in thee. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet cries, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. If you are truly converted this morning and know of whom the prophet speaks, surely your heart is already longing and desiring to know more of whom he speaks. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Let us pray, our Heavenly Father. Lord, we bear some witness to the prophet Isaiah this morning as thy children. For Lord, who shall believe our report? The report is not of our own making, nor of our own imagination. The report that has been divinely appointed unto us is a report about the Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious gospel by which men are saved. Help us, dear God, that we seek not to change, corrupt, or rest it to say anything besides that which you'd have it to say. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see more perfectly this morning as the hymnist wrote, the salvation, the perfect salvation of our Lord. And I pray that, Father, we would be drawn to your Son this morning, Lord, like never before that we'd look at his incarnation, his condensation, and Father Lord, that we would love and desire to know more of our Christ, of our Savior, and of our God. That he would go through so much to bring us such a glorious salvation. God be honored and glorified through your Son this morning, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Like all things concerning the Word of God, as I meditated upon these verses this last week, these words of the prophet Isaiah were best left alone. With no need of man's vain attempt to interpret or expound upon them. These three verses and all the following verses speak for themselves more than any man, any mortal man could ever say. 
how does man expound on a subject of which the Isaiah, of prophet Isaiah speaks? For he seeks of none other but the Son of God, the express image of the Father, the brightness of his glory, and not just that, but of his passion and suffering for sinners. For who is the man, be he the greatest of all saints, who could truly do justice to these divinely inspired words of Isaiah by adding any comment or opinion? Yet the prophet declares in our text, it's our report. Not one of our own making, not one of our own choosing. He says, who hath believed our report? Not by choice, yet by divine appointment is this report given unto men. An amazing truth if you would spend time to contemplate the weight of that report. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The burden that every preacher who truly understands the responsibility and the importance and the significance of this report is burdened down by his own weaknesses and infirmities. For how shall we preach such a report? Paul said himself in 2 Corinthians, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, he says, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, speaking of the preacher, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What an amazing proclamation. But Paul would go on to say, but we have this treasure, this report, this glorious gospel, this knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. No mortal man could have himself ever proclaimed such a report. Again, Paul would write, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, not of His adversaries or trouble, but because of the burden, of the weight of the message of the gospel. He said, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Again, the word power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. <clears throat> for who, Paul goes on to say, is sufficient for these things? For who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah, Paul echoes the same sentiments of the prophet Isaiah. 
Beloved, we've been given by God's grace a report to give a report of his only beloved son. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I fear many today have taken that report lightly. So many people who proclaim the gospel today, they proclaim a message that is vague and unclear. It speaks not of Christ, of his incarnation, of his living, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. The prophet's amazement and wonder concerning who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed does not imply that our report is in any way weakened or made of none effect by sinful man's unbelief. Nor that the arm of the Lord, as Isaiah says somewhere else, is shortened that he cannot save. But his amazement and wonder is aroused by the glorious and unimaginable message of the report he was to give. That is where the amazement and wonder arose. This is a glorious and unimaginable report. Because he said, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him. You see how he starts? He speaks about Christ. Who's going to believe this amazing and unimaginable report that God Himself would come down and take upon Him flesh and be born among men and suffer disgrace and pain and sorrow for sinners that we might live forever with God? He says, who shall believe that report? It's an amazing, unimaginable report. The report... It is of itself vain without the arm of the Lord being revealed. No, he's, he's not implying that the sinful unbelief of the sinner or his ignorance weakens or makes this report of none effect. Listen to me, beloved, and also you that are say are not saved this morning. You need to understand both the report and God will be glorified. Are you listening to me? I think this is where a lot of Christians miss out. They have a misinterpretation, a false understanding. Both the report and God will be glorified in both the eternal destruction of the unrepentant sinner and in the saving and glorifying of the righteous. Both will be glorified. God will be glorified. Either in the saving of a sinner or the damnation of that sinner, he will be glorified. Our message is not one dependent upon man. Our message is dependent upon God. And it will triumph. It will triumph. This is what made the men of God in the past so bold in preaching the gospel anywhere and everywhere. Because their message was one of triumph. Paul declared it again in 2 Corinthians 2. Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. He's talking about the ministry. Which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 16. Listen to this. And make it manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Paul says always causes us to triumph. In what? In the preaching of the gospel. It's a savor. 
we are unto God, unto God, unto God. Not unto men, unto God. A sweet Savior of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. God will be glorified every time the gospel is preached. By the saving of a sinner or by the condemnation and damnation of a sinner, God will be glorified. He will triumph. To the one Paul says, we are Savior of death unto death. And to the other, the Savior of life unto life. Then he humbly falls down and says, who is sufficient for these things? Again, echoing the sentiments of the prophet Isaiah, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. Beloved, we have a weak gospel today, which I question is even the gospel. We must, as a church, ever be careful that the report that God has given to us, namely the gospel, is a pure gospel, not one of our own making or imagination. Not changing or resting it to say things to appease men, to allure men, to kind of deceive men into believing something. It's got to be the gospel according to God's Word. Not proclaimed in weakness, but in power and in faith and in confidence. For who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Listen to it. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, for years, when reading this text, like most people, I would jump probably almost quickly, very quickly, to verse 4, skimming over the first three. But I want you to understand that this report starts with Isaiah proclaiming the incarnation of Christ, the condescension of Christ, the taking on of flesh, that God, that God would take on flesh. Again, I get ahead of myself, but this misses, this message is missed in most Gospels. But it's a vital point of the Gospel. Jesus was not merely a prophet. He was not merely someone that hung on a cross. He was God manifested in the flesh. He condescended to take on our flesh. And when He did, it says that He had no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. That is how humble Christ came into this world that we might be saved. That's a message the world has to hear, that has to know in the Gospel. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes, said the psalmist. For, because of what he just said, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root of the dry ground. These words in verse 2, beloved, as well as all that follow, were not an afterthought of verse 1. But verse 1 is an expression of wonder, love, and praise because of verse 2 and every word that follows. It's almost as though before he even begins writing the report, the, the prophet cries out, Who hath believed this? You would think it goes at the end of it. 
where he'd write all this and goes, now who believes this? But the prophet starts off, he's, he's seen the report, he understands it, and before he even utters a word, he says, who's going to believe this? This is amazing. This is glorious. We should feel the same way about the gospel when we talk to sinners. I want to tell you something glorious. I want to tell you something that's unimaginable. I want to tell you something of a report of something amazing and glorious. God has come down into the flesh to take upon our flesh to be crucified and suffer and die and rise again for our justification. It's a glorious message. It's a wonderful message. That's why the psalmist or the proverb or the prophet breaks out in verse 1 before he even gets to verse 2. Again, he speaks of Christ and listen to it. Those two hymns alone of Charles Wesley bears more gospel message than most gospel preaching and most gospel flyers and tracts today. Them two hymns. You could write them two hymns in a gospel track and have enough right there. <laughs> now listen to it. He speaks of Christ. Listen to him, dearly beloved. This is our Christ. This is our Savior. This is our God. This is our Redeemer, our kinsman. This is Christ. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, and he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is God. He's he's describing the condescension of Christ. He's describing how God veiled his glory. Look at this, he's veiled it in such a way that no man desired him. He had no form or no comeliness. He didn't come with splendor. He didn't come with, with all this glorious things he should have as God. He came in such a manner that nobody even noticed him. Nobody even recognized him. Nobody even took notice of him. Herein lies the great mystery of godliness that is without controversy, without debate, without dispute, of which Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 3.16. See and believe and wonder the wonder and great mysteries of Christ's condensation or condensation. The veiling of the Godhead three in flesh. The veiling of the God. This is how he starts the report. And we so often jump to verses four, five, six, and seven, which is okay, but we we miss out the very beginning of what the prophet declares for. Let me describe to you. Isaac Watts wrote an old hymn. With these words, I'll just say three verses of the hymn. It's rather lengthy. That's why I like the old hymns. They contain more scripture than 40 of the contemporary songs, if more than that, of today. He wrote, How few receive the cordial faith, the tidings which we bring. How few have seen the arm revealed of heaven's eternal king. The Savior comes. No outward pomp bespeaks his presence nigh. No earthly beauty shines in him to draw the carnal eye. Fair as a beauteous tender flower amidst the desert grows, so slighted by a rebel race, the heavenly Savior rose as a flower. End of quote. No earthly beauty shines in him to draw the carnal eye. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Here's God, creator of heavens and the earth. The Godhead tree. And when he comes down to earth and takes on flesh, he comes in a way that nobody recognizes him. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He doesn't want nobody to know who he is. He veils himself in flesh. 
veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And the prophet Isaiah says, who shall believe this report? How can God, who has in himself so much splendor, so much glory, so, magnific so much magnificence, veil himself in such a manner that no man sees anything in him to desire? This is God. <sighs> Beloved, he did that as part of our salvation. That's why this is so important. He did that because it's part of our salvation. It behooved him to become like unto his brethren. I'm not going to weary quoting this verse over and over this morning, for like I said in the beginning, it's better these words were left alone. And we just spend time contemplating on them. But for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. When Moses, if you remember, descended from Mount Sinai after being in the presence of God, the Bible says his face shone so bright the children of Israel were afraid to approach him. Couldn't look at the faces and he had to veil his face. He was in the presence of God. This wasn't God. He was in the presence of God and the glory was so overwhelming. Moses' face shined in such a manner. Can you imagine how bright that must have been? They couldn't even look upon the face of Moses. In the nursing home, there was a gentleman who recently passed who was in uh, the Marshall Islands, and he was one of those that they put up on the ship. They lined the sailors up on the ship as they exploded the nuclear bombs so that they could get the blast so they could see how the effects of a nuclear bomb would be upon the human body. They stood on that vessel and watched that bomb go off, and they was, they was submitted to that, subjected to that. And he says, Adi, I've never seen anything so bright in my life. He said, that light was so bright. He said, it burned my eyes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine looking into the face of God? And Moses coming down and they're going, oh, it's too bright. We can't even look. At it. He had to veil his face. Yet when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Oh, do you see how God had veiled his glory and splendor in such a magnificent way? He was not appealing to any carnal eye. No form or comeliness. No beauty that we should... That's our Savior. What a glorious Savior we have. The seraphims in heaven, while in the presence of God, Ezekiel declared, must cover their faces with their wings because they cannot look on the glory and splendor and majesty of God. And yet again, I would almost like to just stop here and say, we need to take this thought home and meditate on it. Because if you don't do that, if you leave here and go home and forget everything that's been read this morning concerning his incarnation, God veiling himself in flesh, you're going to miss a lot of what Isaiah is reporting. An amazing, what an amazing and astounding truth that is. And we have been given the report to proclaim it. We see the Godhead tree veiled in flesh. We see him veiled in flesh. 
And yet the prophet said he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. Yes, he's speaking literally of the Jews. Christ walked amongst the Jews, and they see no beauty in him. He didn't look any different. They didn't say, oh, look, he's got a different form, or look, he's comely, or look, he's beautiful. He's carrying with him the splendor and glory of God. They see nothing, nothing about Christ. They looked into his very face and didn't recognize that he was God. Do you realize what that takes for God to do that? Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. As a tender plant. That's something that springs up unnoticed. Unrecognized. A tender plant is something that appears as nothing and gives no appearance. No appearance that will amount to anything. It's a tender plant. You walk by and you see it and you just keep walking. You don't notice it. You don't take notice of it. You don't think it's going to be anything good or great. You just walk right by it. That's how Christ was grown up before Him, speaking of God the Father. We saw no beauty in Him to desire, but the Father did. He grew up before the Father. He grew up before Him. His entrance into this world was not with splendor and glory which He deserved, and which was his due as God. You see, there's such a vagueness this, this morning around the world with so many people who profess to know Christ. If you ask them about their Christianity, there's such a vagueness about it because they believe the gospel that was vague. And they're believing a gospel that's still vague. You know nothing of Christ. I'm not getting ahead of myself, and I don't believe in the doctor, doctrinal regeneration, but I believe that you can't have a gospel without doctrine. God, don't save in ignorance. I don't believe that. And the gospel today is merely something thrown out there saying, look, you're a sinner, you're condemned, you're going to go to hell, and you need Christ. Hello? Why do I need Christ? Who is this Christ? I'm not saying we have to write a... a huge reportage or something like that. But we need to make it clear. The report needs to be clear. You're a sinner because you're born a sinner. You need a Savior because He's the only one that can save you and the only one that can save you. And the reason He's the only one that saves you is because of this. Over the ages, the church has wanted such quick results. So they've made the gospel quick. Don't cut the message short. We've done the same thing with, you know, entertainment. Churches say, well, you need to draw them in. You need to have something to draw them in, deceive them to come into the house of God. And then once we're there, they're here, let's just close the doors and, and we'll just trap them. At breakfast, my brother, yesterday he was telling me of a prosperity gospel preacher somewhere up north that once a year, he, he gives his congregation cars for bringing in new people. You bring in new people, who brings in the most? They'll get a car. Of course, it's his old car because he bought a new car with all the money they're giving him. 
or you just get in the car. And that's usually, that, we've done that same thing with the gospel. We just kind of throw it out there. We just kind of say, okay, here it is simply. You're, you're, you're lost. You're in need of Christ. You need, you need a Savior. No, we, we need to proclaim. The gospel is the only thing. It's the power of God. It has to be clear. It's not our gospel. It's His gospel. It has to be clear. It has to be understandable. Not a doctrinal thesis. That's not what I'm saying. But it has to be the gospel. He came in a lowly and unrecognized state as a tender plant to be born of a virgin of low position in a manger in a lowly city by a poor carpenter. In fact, when he came into the world, the only, the only reason the wise men came is because they seen a star. Later on, when they seen Christ, there's no beauty in him that they should desire him when they see him. What did they say? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Carpenter. You know how lowly that, I want to say German, poof. See, I've been around German too long. That job was in those days, a carpenter. They said, is this, is, is not this the carpenter's son? Carpenter's son can't be this intelligent and wise. They're stupid. This is the carpenter's son. Is not his mother called Mary? Isn't she a lowly Mary? Mary? They knew who Mary was. She's, a, she's nobody. She's a lowly woman. And his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Jude, Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Look, he's, he's born amongst common people. This is a common family. A dry ground. It's a common family. How could he know such things? Oh, God veiled his glory that much. Whence then hath this man all these things? If he comes from such a lowly family. And the verse after that said, and they were offended in him. You offend us. You offend us. Who are you to tell us? Even once someone said when they heard about Christ being out of Nazareth, he said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you serious? He's coming out of Nazareth? Beloved, this is our Savior. This is what he endured. And it's a vital part of our salvation to understand his condescension, his incarnation, his coming in the flesh. Is humbling himself. It's a vital part of our salvation. And it's a vital part of our Christianity. For we have not a high priest who could not be, what? Sympathetic to our afflictions. For he shall grow up before him, God, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no beauty, or evidence of glory, no comeliness, no honor, no glory, no majesty, which are by his, or his by divine nature. He had none of those things. He had none of those things. And when we see him, there is no beauty, no regal, no regal pomp, no splendor that we should desire him. Amazing how he starts to report. 
for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Like I said, we jump right to the cross. We jump right to verses 4 and 5. This is what he did. This is what he did. Forgetting. You need to understand. You're not going to understand. Listen to me, child of God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just contain this to God's people. Because to be honest with you, these verses are for God's people. Lost person's not going to understand it. We're not going to understand the measure of Christ's sufferings. We're not going to appreciate the measure of Christ's sufferings until we understand, until we understand his incarnation, his coming in the flesh and walking amongst men. It wasn't simply for nothing. Do you know everything Christ did as he walked amongst men was for our salvation? Everything he did. Being born as a baby to a lowly family, his raising up in a carpenter's family, everything he did was not, none of it for his own benefit, but for our salvation, everything, and even this. That's why the prophet starts here, and so must we start here. You don't understand. That was not merely somebody that died on the cross, so you can simply skip off into heaven. That is the very Son of God. Spoke to a family member this week who's trusting in their emotions and their dreams that everything will go fine and dandy in heaven. I said, that's not it. I, and I told him, I said, you know, next Sunday the world's going to be celebrating Easter. Of course, they corrupt it, and we know that. But they're going to be celebrating in some way, making remembrance or making mention anyway, somewhere between Bugs Bunny and uh, whoever it is, um, of Christ. But, and I told him, I said, do you realize who that was It was on that cross? Do you realize who it was? Do you understand that? If you don't understand that, you'll never be saved. Let me tell you something, and I don't want you to misunderstand this. I don't believe any can be saved unless they understand who that was that was on the cross. There's no way. There's no way. That's why we have a bunch of man-made converts out there. Oh, I, I said the prayer. Oh, no, I said the prayer. I'm going to heaven. And they live like the devil. They don't read their Bibles. They don't go to church. But, oh, they're oh, once saved, always saved. Because they have that vague gospel. They don't know who that was that died on the cross. If they don't know who that was that died on the cross, they cannot be saved. God is not going to save in ignorance. God would not have let his son go through all that to say, okay, I'm going to let you go ahead and believe on somebody, and then later on down the road, I'll show you who he is. No, you're going to know who it is when it comes to repentance. You're going to go, that was the son of God that died for my sins. There's little attention today given under, this, under the incarnation of Christ in taking upon flesh that he might take our place and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The following verses, the following verses, they come after verse 2. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for iniquities. Who was the man in verse 2? Well, who was the man in verse 2? It was God manifested in the flesh. That's who it was. Not simply anybody. And even less attention is given to this divine truth in today's so-called gospel. In all my years as a pastor, I've never witnessed a gospel, yet not the gospel, if you understand what I mean, so vague and unclear as so many gospels today. They're a gospel without doctrine. And a gospel without doctrine is no gospel. It's no gospel. A mere empty and vague message that man needs a Savior, yet no doctrine to declare why 
or by whom. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel. We do not preach a vague Christ. We preach a crucified Christ. And there's more than just the crucified. You know what's good about all this? And let me, I'm kind of wind this down a little bit because I want to get in verse 3 next week, especially Sunday being Easter. But you know what's good about all this? When, when the child of God begins to understand all these things, like in Isaiah 53, I mean, all these, I mean, everything, the incarnation, the life of Christ, the, you know, the, 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 the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, his ascension is sitting on the right hand of the Father. When a Christian begins to understand those things, all those things will be implemented whenever he preaches the gospel. It's not like you've got to study Isaiah 53 and quote it to every sinner you come to. No, as you grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all these truths that you've come to love and to adore, they're going to come out. As you preach the gospel, every single one of them, they might not come out in that distinct order, but they're going to be there. Because people's going to have questions. Why do I need a Savior? Oh, let me tell you. Oh, you're a sinner. Why am I a sinner? You're a sinner. Why am I a sinner? You're bad. No, more than that. Why do I need Christ? Who is this Christ? Oh, let me tell you who this Christ is. He hung on the cross. Yeah, but who was it that hung on the cross? Well, he hung on the cross. No, let me tell you who hung on that cross. Let me tell you why. If you deny and reject him, you're going to go to hell because there's no other sacrifice. There's no other, there's no other sacrifice for sin than Christ. You know why? Because he was God manifest in the flesh. And if you try to get into heaven outside or around Christ, you're going to face God's wrath like no man has ever seen and heard in his life. Because you're trying to get by Christ, who is God's only beloved Son, that was God manifested in the flesh that hung on Calvary. Not merely a prophet, it was God manifested in the flesh. Like I said, I'm not a believer of doctrinal regeneration. Yes, I also do not believe in the gospel without no doctrine. He said earlier, God doesn't save in ignorance, nor will he grant true repentance to one who knows not why he needs repentance or who it is that paid the sacrifice for his sins. That's why Christ said such worship, they know not what. You worship, you know not what, Christ told the woman at the well. You have no idea who you're worshiping. Our report. And so he begins. <laughs> preparation for next week he's despised and rejected of men you see how he builds up that he laid the foundation here's God and look he came as a tender plant as a root of a, out of a dry ground he has no form no comeliness and when we shall see him there's no beauty that we should desire him oh this is how God veiled his glory in flesh now watch what this flesh did watch what happened to this God that was veiled in flesh, who had no form, no comeliness, no beauty. Watch what he does. He was despised and rejected of men. God. Pause with me a minute. He's despised and rejected of men. God, their creator. The Calvary. And count how, how many of those people he healed. How many he fed miraculously. How many people he he helped and aided through his whole, just three years of ministry? Just three years, how many people he aided? How many were at the foot of Calvary? 
In the eyes of man, he was an utter failure. He's a man of sorrows. And he was acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. Not just knowing it. Acquaintance is intimate. He was intimate with grief. He knew what grief was. And in spite of all that, it says, and we hid as it were our faces. Some say that it's his hiding his face from us, but we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We didn't esteem him. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if those who die without Christ shall hear these same words echoed in hell in the midst of their torment. This is who you rejected. This is who you denied. Next to that, dearly beloved, in closing, I want you to understand this too. Christ, listen to me, Christ, Christ is the true believer's security of eternal salvation and the assurance that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are you talking about? A lot of Christians talk about assurance. And they're trying to find some emotional high or comfort. And they're thinking, I need to have something fleshly to calm me down. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to acquaint yourself more with Christ. This is part of acquainting. Acquaint yourself with him. Look at what he did. Look at Isaiah 53. Read all that. See what he did. And then ask yourself, would he leave you alone? If God would give us his own son... What would he keep from us, Romans 8 says? Are you, are you listening? We don't need an emotional high or an emotional comfort. We need more of Christ. From his incarnation, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his sitting on the right hand of the Father, his being our prophet, our priest, our king, all these things assure our hearts of His unchanging and eternal love, care, and mercy. We've got to know more about Christ. The verse in Job said it best in Job 22, acquaint yourselves with Him. Acquaint yourselves with Him. Be intimate with Him. Christ, be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. We don't need more head knowledge. We don't need more or new doctrine, we need more of Christ. And to get more of Christ, we need more of God's Word. And to get more of God's Word, we need to pray and read it and meditate on it, spend time in it, not simply briefly reading over it, not simply listening. You know, a lot of Christians' faith is lived in the shadows of others. And don't misunderstand me. God places people in our lives to help us, to guide us, direct us. But I'm telling you, there's a time in your Christian life you're going to have to break away from the shadows of other men and other women and learn to walk with Christ on your own. This is why so many Christians, when they fall into trouble or tragedy or afflictions in life, you wonder why, where's the comfort? If you know Christ, where's the, and I'm not saying sometimes we don't get in despair. We do. But I'm simply saying, where's the comfort? I, I believe these things reveal unto us by God's grace how little we know of Christ. And it's God saying, draw nigh to Him. 
Your assurance, your comfort is rested on your intellectual knowledge or what you've heard from somebody else. What do you know about Christ? Almost like when the Lord asked Peter, said, uh, asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? No, oh, I just, they say this and that. The Lord turned around and says, who do you say I am? See, it's not, it doesn't matter what they say. You can live in the shadow of other men. Oh, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that was the best track I ever read. Oh, that's the best book I read in my life. That's not going to do it. We've got to be saying that's the best Savior in my life. <laughs> that's good. This is good. So you get into it. You read it. You meditate on it until it becomes part of your life, if not the whole thing of your life. That's why we need to know more about Christ and his salvation. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? If you're a Christian, it's you. Now consider that thought in the light of history, from Genesis to now. How many in all that time span have come to truly know God? Why you? Why me? I'm no better than the next guy. Oh, but God's grace led me to a place one time and led, allowed me to sit under the preaching of the gospel like he's doing this morning to all of us. He's saying, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. You say, am I of the elect? Are you here? Are you listening? Oh, you better give it a second thought. You, you better really give that serious consideration. Why would God be speaking to you? Why would he be speaking to all of us? Why us? Why would God allow us to believe the report? And why would God reveal his arm to us? There's only one answer that we can commonly, humanly declare, and that is, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saying a wretch like me, I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. But now I see. He's more lovelier than anything I've ever, ever known in my life. Acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Amen. Thank God for glorious salvation. Let us see thy perfect salvation restored in thee. Our Heavenly Father, we, we are so indebted to grace. Father, we love you and thank you so much for your unspeakable gift. Your own Son, Jesus Christ. How much more after this morning, Lord, are we aware of that so familiar verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, help us as a church that we might faithfully proclaim this divine report and do it, Lord God, not in our own understanding, our own power, but in the power and demonstration of the Spirit that men's faith would not be found in men's wisdom, but in the power of God. I pray, Father, Lord, that you'd help us as your children today. Lord, may these words remind us of our great Savior and what you did for us. 
May we contemplate on it throughout this day. May it refresh our souls. May it comfort us in this so troubled world. Help us, Father, we pray, that we might continue to look unto Christ, to set our affections on things above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Lord, I pray that you guide us and direct us. Lord, be with our dear sister Christy during this time of illness. Just pray that, Lord, you comfort her in a very special and miraculous way. Draw nigh to her. Give her, Father, Lord, the comfort that only you can give her. You're a God of all comfort. We thank you for all things. We ask these things now in Christ's name.